Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning to you, or good afternoon, or good evening, because I know there's a number of people who watch this on YouTube or on the website, as well as obviously those from our own church who gather together on a Sunday morning on Zoom. So whatever time of day it is, and wherever you come from, whether you're from our own locality here in Uddingston, outside of Glasgow, or whether you're from other parts of the world, welcome as brothers and sisters in Christ, or as those who are seeking to find out more about what the Christian faith has to say at these challenging times, a warm welcome to you. We're going to be reading again from the Bible. Um, I actually had thought that we would pick up and follow through more of the story of the book of Acts, and we will do that from next Sunday. We'll go back to Acts chapter 3. But certain things have been happening in the news and in the world and in conversation with people in the church over these past days. And so this morning we're going to think a wee bit more about some verses from 2 Corinthians. We're going to return to a part of the Bible we've been looking at in the past. And so I encourage you, before you do anything else, to open your Bibles at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And before we go any further, we're going to ask for God's help as we read, particularly and think about some things that are particularly challenging or maybe thought-provoking this morning. We always need the Spirit's help, but particularly this morning, let's ask for God's help as we read and reflect together. Let's pray. God, our Father, we do thank you that through means of technology like this, we can hear your word, both from a local context here in Scotland and Britain, but perhaps also in a more wider context. We thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God and that you have given us your word so that we might disarm the principalities and powers of this present age. And so we pray, O Holy Spirit, that as we read and reflect together now, you will give me your words to say and you will give us the understanding that we all need as we come before you, O God, our creator and our sustainer, the only saviour, the only Lord, through Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. I'm sure all of us have been moved over these past days at the whole issue concerning Black Lives Matter. Who of us can not be stirred and troubled by that scene in America and of what took place there? of someone who, by all accounts, was a man faithfully seeking, as indeed as a believer, so we're told, seeking to help those whose lives were caught up in various forms of addiction and trouble, and yet was earmarked by at least some in the police force and seen as an enemy of the state. And what took place was wrong, was terrible, and those who did it should be held accountable. But in more recent days, not just in the United Kingdom, but in other parts of the world, demonstrations have taken place as people stirred by the scenes of injustice stirred by many other issues that are going on in the world at the present time, have taken to our streets and expressed their angst and their frustration in a whole host of certain ways, including in this country the pulling down of statues and throwing even one into, into the river or to a, a, a harbour basin. And, and rightly as Christians, we should be concerned about all these issues, not just about Black Lives Matter. We've been living in recent days with very contentious issues just before COVID-19 hit. Um, we saw global demonstrations, including ones in our own country here, concerned about global 
change about the global warming effect of our on our environment and all the consequences of that. And tens of thousands took to our streets then, motivated by a young girl from Sweden, stirred in her own conscience by these needs. Uh, and before that, we had the Me Too demonstrations, where women rightly protested against the way in which they are often caricatured and used and abused by men in power and influence. And even in a wider context within our own country, the debates over Brexit or before that over independence caused great strength of feeling and great public demonstrations of that. Um, how these days now seem forgotten about in the present crisis. But nonetheless, our recent history and recent times have been marked by ex expressions of frustration, as I say, angst, unhappiness, a longing for change, a longing for difference, a longing for inequalities to be sorted out, a longing in many ways for radical, radical impact on our society. And that's understandable. If you're living as someone who's oppressed, or you've been abused, or you feel marginalised, you rightly are going to want to things to change. But it's important as Christians that we come to these things with a biblical understanding. We've been thinking much about having the mind of Christ, not being tossed about by every wind and wave, by every influence, by everything that the media presents, or by what someone who's got the loudest voice says. And so I'd like us this morning to turn to some verses from 2 Corinthians again that remind us of the spiritual realities. Because if we're going to have the mind of Christ, if the church is to be the light of God revealed into this world, the body of Christ set in the midst of all that's happening round about us, then we need to see things from a spiritual dimension. And so I'm going to read some verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul writes this. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Notice what Paul's saying here. He says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He talks about the gospel being veiled to those who are perishing. What does he mean by that? Well, some of us will have problems with our sight. And we will know how much that impacts on our ability to do things. Even if our sight, we had sight originally, and it's now become impaired in various ways, it makes a major impact on us. I used somebody in my last congregation who went blind. Thankfully, not a very common thing nowadays, but it happened to her. She went blind. She lost her sight practically overnight. And it meant that things that she'd taken for granted, um, her sense of perspective, her overall sense of well-being, all of that was radically changed. She was literally lost. She lost her, her, her independence. She became vulnerable. 
and felt fear within our heart and within our mind, and again, all very understandable. When we read the Bible, especially the ministry of Jesus, blindness and people who are blind are actually very much part of that ministry. You'll remember that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke's Gospel, we have Jesus quoting from the book of the prophet Isaiah, making that public announcement of his ministry. And so he unrolls the scroll to the place where it is written, and this is Jesus quoting from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Here is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, unrolling and re revealing in a sense his agenda for God's kingdom, a kingdom where the blind see, the prisoners set free and the oppressed are liberated. In many ways, very much a topical message for our times. But interesting enough, as the gospel writers expand, and particularly what it means to recovery of sight for the blind, as the gospel writers expand, blindness is seen, yes, as a physical condition, but also as a spiritual reality. John in particular, and when you maybe later have the opportunity to open your Bibles and read from John chapter 9, the story of Jesus giving sight to the blind man, it's very clear from the gospel records that this man who was physically blind at the very end, of course, was able to see. And what was he able to see? Was he able to see Jesus? But yet the way he was treated by the religious leaders, people who could see perfectly well, but who Jesus made clear was spiritually blind, the way he was treated showed the dichotomy between the light of God's kingdom and the darkness of spiritual unbelief and ultimately of the kingdom of Satan. So we have Jesus having coming to meet with the man who was thrown out of the temple, thrown out of the, of the synagogue because of being able to see, and he goes to this man and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. And Paul, speaking here, tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that people without the light of Christ in their life are spiritually blind. They've lost their spiritual bearings. They do not see with the eyes of their inward eyes, the eyes of their, their mind, the eyes of their spirit, their soul. They do not see the things of God. They do not see the world from God's perspective. They do not understand things from that divine light. They see things spiritually in darkness. Indeed, John in his gospel talks about those who walk in darkness as those who are outside of and removed from the light of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. What does that mean in practice? Well, actually, it's a very radical thing. What it says to us is that out with God's people, out with believers, Men and women are spiritually blind. That means that people may well be very well educated. They may well be very well set up as far as the world's concerned. 
They may well indeed in many ways be very wise and seem to have great wisdom, but without the light of the glory of God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, without the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ shining within them, they are spiritually blind. They do not have the mind of Christ. Indeed, Paul in 1 Corinthians, and again, these are verses we've touched upon, speaks about this. He quite strongly challenges, um, and remember, he's writing to a Roman city that boasted of its educational ability, boasted of the great temples of religion, boasted of its great knowledge as far as trade and commerce was concerned. But listen to what Paul says. Again, verses we've read just recently, but it's good perhaps for us to let these words sink in more deeply into our hearts and minds. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And then he goes on to say, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And so as we see various things presented to us in our world, various movements, various desires for change, various agendas for things to be different, many of which have real reasons for being stirred up and for being expressed. But nonetheless, as we see these things played out round about us, or as we watch and hear these things in the media, we need to come with the mind of Christ, which tells us that unless they explicitly acknowledge the glory of the knowledge of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, they are spiritually blind. That means they will not lead people to knowledge of God. That means that they will lead people not nearer to a knowledge of God, but actually, unfortunately, often further away from the knowledge of God. And why is this the case? Well, the second point, the second point I want to make, turn in 2 Corinthians to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Paul here is writing, of course, about specific issues within the church and the divisions and the dissensions and the problems that the church in Corinth is facing. It was living in the midst of, as I've said, a society which was non-Christian, which was pagan, or rather, Maybe not pagans, maybe not the right word to use. Actually, many was very spiritual. It had temples, as I say, dedicated to various gods. There was various various cults and, and various philosophical spirits going about. So yes, it wasn't pagan, but it was non-Christian. It was non-focused on Christ. It was also morally and ethically very dubious. Behind the facade of the great public buildings or the facade of civilization, the Roman rule brought all sorts of dark and dastardly deeds took place. Lives were treated, people were treated as, 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 as chattels, as to be used. Um, and, and all sorts of things went on that led to the degrading of human life. But yet outwardly appeared very wise, very set up, very civilized. And, and, and there was plenty of talk going about of this philosophy and that philosophy. And in such a setting, the church of God in Corinth was beset by all sorts of pressures from battles without and fears within. And this is what Paul has to say. He's writing in this letter. Listen to what he says. I am afraid, he says, writing to Christians, that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's coming, cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And then speaking about his own ministry, he justifies and argues for the validity of his own ministry. And then he goes on to say in verse 13, For such people who come amongst you are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. What's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that there is, first of all, a, a connection with what took place in the Garden of Eden. And we have to understand, with the mind of Christ, that most important story in the Bible, where Eve saw that which appeared to be good, even though it actually was going to have a disastrous effect on her and indeed upon the whole of creation. Her eyes saw it, and it was good. Her, her emotions were stirred. The, the serpent came along and said, Would you not like to taste? Would you not like to be God? Would you not like to have all knowledge? Oh, go on. Take a bite. Despite the fact that God had warned them that the fruit of the knowledge of tree, of the fruit of the knowledge of, of good and evil, if eaten, would open up a can of worms that would not easily be put back into place. And so we saw that she saw it, and she took it, and she ate it, and she gave it to Adam. And they were deceived by the serpent, who the Bible describes as the great deceiver. And yet when their eyes were opened, what did they see? They saw their nakedness, carnal flesh, sinful nature became evident before them. And Paul's saying here that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, so our minds can be led astray. And we live in a world today where people are being led astray by cunning and deceitful things. There are false Christs going about, not necessarily in an obvious way from the church, although there are, uh, but not necessarily in obvious ways. But that longing, that longing for Eden to be restored, that longing for equality to be achieved, that longing for people to be regarded, rightly so, as equal, that longing for, uh, in a sense, perfection, for, for a kingdom of heaven to be brought here on earth, that longing which is within the hearts of all human beings, that longing which is there because we're made in the image of God and we were meant to live in perfect harmony with, with, with him and with each other, that longing is finding its expression and looking for its satisfaction not in the God who established the Garden of Eden, the God who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, but the so-called gods of this world, angels of light, Paul tells us, masquerading as servants of righteousness, as servants of good things. Take a look at some of the agendas behind some of these movements. I was alerted this week by, by, by a, a good ministerial friend to the, the Black Lives Matter website. Go on and look. Many ways, a very commendable website. And yet look at some of the things that organizations like that want to push for, that they advocate for. They're certainly not righteous. They're dangerous. They're immoral. They're contrary to the word of God and do not lead people to a knowledge of the light and truth, but actually lead people to dead ends. As Paul says, their end will be what their actions deserve. That's very solemn. But all these movements, 
born out of genuine angst and frustration, using words that, such as justice and social equality and righteousness and a whole host of other things, inclusiveness, all good-sounding words. Unfortunately, in the midst of all of that, and the vast majority of people who are led astray, who are led along, who are motivated by genuine desire for things to be different, there are those and there are spirits at work which are deceiving and destructive. And as God's people, we need to be aware of that. Because, lastly, we are not to be unaware of the devil's schemes. Can I refer you to more verses in 2 Corinthians? Back to 2 Corinthians and to the earlier part of the letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul writes, um, he says we, we, we are going to, uh, again, speaking about a particular context here, we're going to have a spirit of forgiveness. He says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The word used here for schemes means basically his tricks. Now, the Bible talks about Satan as the father of lies, as the great deceiver, like a roaring lion prowling around waiting for someone to devour him as an angel of light, masquerading as an angel of light, as someone who uses the terms of righteousness but actually has a very different understanding of what that means, an antichrist understanding of what that means. And Paul here is wanting to encourage people in the days of Corinth, surrounded by everything I've talked about, but also people living today, surrounded by all the things we see and hear and perhaps are aware of. He wants us not to be unaware of his tricks, of his schemes. And how do we become more aware? Well, Paul tells us in those verses we read at the beginning. Paul talks about renouncing secret and shameful ways, not using deception, not distorting the word of God. We have to be clear that there are people who would do that, who would do secret and shameful things, hidden agendas behind much of what we hear and see. Use deception to trick people and to lead people up the garden path. And those even within the life of the church at times who will distort the word of God. How do we counter that? We counter that by setting forth the truth plainly. That truth, which he goes on to say, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We need to know God's word. We need to know the truth of God's word, but we also need to know how that truth applies to the real lives, to real issues, to real situations today. Even under the pressure of COVID-19, a spirit of fear, a lockdown spirit has oozed into the life of the church, and I mean the wider church, for understandable reasons. As I say, so much of what we're thinking about this morning outwardly all appears very understandable and indeed very commendable. And for many people, that is how it appears. But for the believers, we need to look behind things. We need to be aware of the spiritual realities that are battles not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this present age. There are those, perhaps very few we might be aware of, but there are those in society, for instance, we'd be happy to see churches permanently locked down. We'd be happy to see 
Christian faith privatized so that it becomes simply something that could be done online like this and no longer in a public way in the public concourses of our towns and cities. And of course, done like this, then it can then be overseed, it can be monitored and if necessarily blocked. That's what the Chinese government is doing just at the present time in China using various forms of technology and various apps that were brought in in order to control the COVID-19 virus, the Chinese government is now listening in and seeking to track believers as they seek to meet together, increasing their hold over people within their own society. That is dastardly. But behind the words, it seems to come in something which is for the common good. We need to be careful, even within our own society, to be aware that there will be some whose minds are blind, for whom the gospel is foolishness, indeed perhaps dangerous, who will use words that appear very commendable, but whose agenda is definitely anti-God and anti-Christ. And while that may not be overly apparent at the present time, only God knows how that will unfold over the coming years of this decade, the 2020s. A time of real challenge, a time of real change. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes. We need to know God's truth. We need to allow that to get into our minds and our hearts so we're informed with the mind of Christ so that the light of the glory of God shines in the midst of the darkness. And how, as we finish, do we prepare for that? Well, we prepare for that. Prepare for that challenge. Prepare for the challenges that the coming months and years are going to bring. We start with prayer. That's why it's so great that in this week down in the south and in this coming week, hopefully in Scotland, churches will be reopened for private prayer. It's only a start. It's only a beginning. But let's attend to the house of prayer. And if we can't do that for various reasons, let's make prayer a priority in our own homes that we might be genuinely troubled because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. We might be generally aware that Satan is a great deceiver, masquerading as an angel of light, and of how he uses language and ideas to push his own agenda, and how we need to be aware of those schemes, and we become more aware of his schemes as we become more aware of the truth of God plainly set out before us. May God's Spirit take this word to inform our minds and stir our hearts in this day and in this generation. Let us pray. Lord, I'm very conscious this is a big subject and that we've touched upon perhaps some quite controversial issues this morning. And yet, Lord, I know that in many hearts up and down our land, there is a growing concern amongst your people as to the spirit of this age and of how in Christ's name and in Christ's way we might stand for the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. We do pray that eyes will be opened. We pray that the blind will see. Lord, we think of perhaps people we know who have been taken in by the deceptions, who have been deceived by seemingly good-sounding ideas. And we pray for wisdom and grace that we might know how best in word and indeed to reveal the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. How we need, O Holy Spirit, your help for that work, and so how we pray and wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.